Good evening. Uh, to get started tonight, if you do not have a sheet that looks something like this and says opportunities and challenges of leadership, raise your hand and Clyde will bring one to you. So each quarter of this year, as a congregation, we've been studying opportunities and challenges and then kind of fill in a group. So opportunities and challenges of younger uh, people, opportunities and challenges of middle-aged, opportunities and challenges of older. And then tonight we're studying, as the groups did yesterday, opportunities and challenges of leadership. The goal of our elders this year in having this as part of our quarterly studies, is to really think about how we, each and every one, can be enabled as part of the body to serve fully. And in so doing, considering the opportunities that our own group has to serve, and also especially to consider the challenges that may face other groups as they serve. And in that way, we can each have more understanding both about our own role and ways that we can give grace to those that are in different situations. So tonight as we study about leaders, I chose three sections or passages from the life and leadership of Moses so that we can illuminate those through his service. Um, I want to be clear, not each of the questions, not everything is phrased as opportunities and challenges. If if there's a, a time when we're studying one of these sections and you'd like to phrase something as opportunities or a challenge and I didn't do that in the questions, don't, don't feel like you have to adhere to the questions to, to comment or whatever. That's, that's not the goal. The, comment, the questions that I've included are to spur some thinking, um, but in each and every one of these examples, there are certainly opportunities and challenges faced at minimum by Moses, um, but also by those he's with, uh, like the Israelites and Jethro. So the first thing we'll do is look at Exodus 17 verses 1 through 6. I do want to set the stage a little bit. If you think about where Exodus 17 happens, um, it is right after multiple things have happened for the Israelites, like um, they come to uh, the, um, they come to the pool and the water is bitter, and they can't drink from it. They wail, you know, why did you bring us out here to die? We're going to die, we're going to die. And then they throw the log in uh, after the Lord tells them to. The water becomes sweet. But then just, just after that, it says, after they left there, they came to a place, I think it says many springs, or some may say seven springs, illustrating that the people of God weren't patient enough always for his providence to provide, and they started grumbling beforehand. Well, then in Exodus 16, um, they're hungry, they're frustrated, they complain, and God says, well, every morning when you go out, there's just going to be manna, there's going to be food on the ground every day when you go out, except on the sixth day where you gather, you, there's enough that you need to gather for two days, again, trying to reiterate their trust in him. They complain that they missed their meat pots and so then he says, well, okay, you're going to have quail. And uh, I think in Numbers it, it tells us that the quail was two cubits high. When that quail came, when the Lord provided, there was so much quail that it was three feet deep. Illustrating again and again, like the, the seven springs with the water, 
the manna is there every day, the quail is there so high you can't really even walk. All of these illustrating the great provision that God brings them at every turn. So now we get to Exodus 17. So certainly they've learned their lesson. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink! And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Let's take a couple minutes, if you would, consider the questions uh, that I put. Welcome to answer those. Also, if you have other notes about opportunities and challenges that face Moses, jot those down and we'll discuss those together in just a moment. Okay, so let's start with, just at a high level, why did, why did they grumble? What's the grumbling here about? All right, so they're thirsty. All right, Chip got what should be first on everyone's list. They're thirsty. Have you ever been so thirsty, so parched, that you feel like you would give anything for a drink of water? Alan's nodding his head. If you've ever seen Alan work in the summer, he doesn't really slow down until his entire body is red and covered in sweat, and you're worried he's going to pass out. And you say, Alan, you should sit and have some water. He says, that's a good idea. In that moment, as soon as he realizes he's thirsty, that's the only thing he can think about, right? If you've ever worked in the yard or, or gone a long distance with no water, it, it, it becomes so distracting that you can't consider anything else until you get water. What else? What are other reasons why they're grumbling? I told you to think of at least three, so if you did this this afternoon, you should have a lot. Michael, you got one? Yeah, so over and over they have, they have had reason to believe in, in God's provision, 
But it seems like every time they go a little bit further, maybe their hope is that they're just going to come somewhere and then there's provision made. And then they get somewhere and there's no provision made, so now they're, they're afraid the Lord's forgotten them. So they're looking around going, well, I'm thirsty, there's, there's nothing here, what are we going to do, right? Okay, what else? All right, so they're putting God to the test. What's that mean, Barry? Well, as Psalm 95 says, and as you pointed out in the previous text, well, they simply aren't, aren't patient. And they even say in this text right after that, is, is the Lord among us or not? So they're treating God like some kind of genie in the bottle who's supposed to provide them what they demand without recognizing that God has the right to. Yes, so they have... Uh, so, so Barry referenced Psalm 95. There's, there's two other passages that reference this situation a lot. Psalm 95 is one of them, Hebrews 3 or 4. I can't remember. Hebrews 3, about most of the chapter is about this as well. Um, so if you want to learn more about this, those are places you can look. Um, they put the Lord to the test, which means they don't really believe that the Lord's going to provide. And, and they... They say things like, you brought us out here to die. So I kind of recorded this in my notes as two separate ideas. One is they don't actually know God, and they don't have faith in God. I think they have to do both in order to to overcome this. Um, uh, I also think that they've become accustomed to having a master. And so when they look and they say, well, there's no provision made for us. They were now used to slaving and having a ration and that being where they got their provision. And now that, that's not what's happening. They're not trading their labor for food anymore. And so I think that's part of their lack of trust is they're not giving God labor and then he, he, he gives them enough food to survive to the next day and then they work the next day and then there's food the next day, that over and over again cycle. He's forcing them to have faith in him. So, if we kind of think about the next question about, um, about the leadership issues here, um, what qualities of leadership do you think this would require for Moses? All right, patience uh, is most certainly on the list. And that's because this is now the fourth or fifth or, I don't know, ninth time or something that they haven't trusted that God was going to provide for them. One of the things that's most interesting here is God's really specific command. And take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and, sh- and then strike the rock. It's almost, I almost feel like God is pointing back to be like, these people don't even remember when you struck the Nile and like everything parted and it was fine and you went through. He, he's like, rem- the, the, the presence of that staff reminds them or should remind them of what the Lord did in bringing them out of Egypt. Um, and so he now has that same staff that he's bringing. Uh, and I think it's interesting that the Lord tells him to do that. Um, what else would Moses need in addition to patience? Chip? All right, so Chip says communication skills. 
to, to communicate with whom? Yeah, so to communicate with God and their Israelites. So Moses goes to God here. I think he, he really sounds afraid. They're about to stone me. You've got you to gotta help me here, Lord. Um, that's how desperate they are. Um, and we don't see everything that Moses says to them as a part of this, but certainly Moses has to address them and communicate to them about, about their situation. What other leadership issues do you see tangled up in this um, that would count as opportunities or challenges for Moses? Alan? Leading a people that don't have the same faith that he has in God. All right, so leading a people that don't have the same faith that he has in God. I think that's a fantastic point because Moses generally, I think, had more faith than they did. But specifically, Moses was speaking with the Lord on a somewhat regular basis, right? And so not only do they have general reason, or sorry, they, they should know the Lord also generally, but I think Moses likely knows the Lord better generally than they do. But specifically, none of these guys are talking to the Lord in the same way that Moses is, which we're going to talk about at the very last thing we read. Um, and so that's a, that's a challenge. It, it's an opportunity. It's good for Moses that the Lord speaks to him that way, but it can also be a challenge because others aren't having that same affirmation of what he's telling them to do. They are forced in some ways to trust Moses as they trust the Lord. Drew, were you going to say something? They've somehow even forgotten that this is at God's directive, it would seem like. And it's just, yeah, Moses, you're the worst. Why are you bringing us through the desert? Yeah, so they're directing their ire at Moses. And maybe we see them at many times forgetting the Lord. Perhaps they're, they're focusing that ire on Moses, which means as a leader, in order to lead them through this, he has to either address that, accept it, deal with it some way, that he may be taking on um, a burden that isn't really his to bear, right? If, if God does bring them out into the wilderness to let them die, that really isn't Moses' fault. Um, now, Moses saves them, as Barry talked about this morning a little bit in his lesson, so I guess he takes it on him at some point. Any, any other leadership issues you th guys think we should talk about here before we go on to the next example? Nathan? I mentioned love. He's made a conscious decision not to just offer it up to God. Yeah. So this people's threatening to kill him, uh, and they do that more than once. Um, and, and when the Lord offers to kill them, he stands in the way. So Moses shows not only his love for God in many of those actions, but his love for the Lord's people as well. And, and love is, is beyond important when leading all people, but when leading God's people especially. Chip? Yeah, so, so Moses needs to be um, willing to serve. Is that what you said? And then self-sacrificing. Had the courage to serve. I'm sorry. And self-sacrificing. Yes. All right, let's, let's go on to this second example. This is from Exodus 18. The next day, 
Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is, it, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me and inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at every time, or at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people all the time. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. All right, I'll give you a, a couple minutes to consider the reading and the questions before you, uh, and we'll discuss that a little bit. What good qualities does Moses show in this passage? Teresa? The humility to listen to advice. Okay, so he shows humility when advice is given, he listens to it. Great. What else? All right, he's approachable. His father-in-law feels like he can come and tell him these things. That's great. What else? Why was Moses doing the thing that he was doing, that Jethro gave him advice about? He cared for the people. This gets back to Nathan's comment about love. Moses loves the people, so he cares for them, and what things is he trying to do because of that love? What'd you say? 
fix everybody's problems. That's not what he says exactly. But you could kind of take what Michael said and change a little bit and tell them that he, he was trying to ensure that everybody had justice, right? He references justice in there. So, and keep peace. And keep peace. Yeah, justice and peace. Um, and then there's one other thing that it's clear he's trying to do as well. What's that? Teach God's law. He references the fact that he's trying to teach the statutes. Um, it doesn't seem like it's just a passing comment because in Jethro's response, he makes clear that Moses can change what he's doing, but he can also still teach the people the statutes of the Lord. Great, so that's some about Moses. What about Jethro? What, what do we see about Jethro in here? All right, so, so um, Alan says wisdom. That's great. Yeah, so Jethro, I would say, has foresight or vision, depending on what you want to think about. He's looking ahead. He realizes this is going to be more than just a few days. Moses, you can't do this every day. The, the language I would use at work is this isn't a sustainable pace. You could do this for a day or two or a week or something, but eventually you've set a system dependent on one man. That's both not sustainable and fraught with risk. And so Jethro acknowledges that he has courage in what way? Yeah, so Jethro has courage in that, yes, I mean, Moses should have, should have um, respect for his father-in-law, but I mean, Moses is a powerful guy. Moses is effectively the leader of a million people, you know, estimates range, but let's just, let's just say amongst ourselves a million people, um, and Jethro is going to come give him advice. Moses talks to God, and Jethro is going to give him advice? I mean, that shows courage on Jethro's side to recognize that there is something that he needs to share uh, with his son-in-law. And, when, and then he did, and, and this is Adam's language, he gave him feedback. That's, that's my language for shared, shared with someone some things that maybe they could work on. Um, Jethro gave him feedback. And, and I would kind of go a little further to say another fantastic quality that Jethro has here is he doesn't just issue spot. You know, anyone who's been in a leadership role has experienced the person that comes to them and says, whew, don't think you're going to be able to keep that up. Or don't think that's going to work out. Or we got a problem here. And then they just... After they've dispensed that knowledge, which oftentimes is not surprising to the leader, they then, you know, move along. <laughs> it's like, that was great. Really appreciate that chat in helping me address this problem. Well, Jethro does the opposite. He doesn't just issue spot. He makes a recommendation that's filled with specifics about how Moses can achieve both his goals and do things a little differently. So when he does that, what are some of the things that Jethro says to Moses? All right, so number one, delegate. You can't do all this yourself. You've got you to figure out how to delegate. And 
in a way, using modern day language, he tells them he's got to figure out a way to get the ones he delegates to to prioritize. The, the guys below him can answer the easy stuff, but when there's a hard problem, you should still be involved, Moses. Have them bring it to you. All right, so that's, that's kind of one. What are some other ways that Jethro's advice or counsel ensures that Moses can still do what his role is? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, not, yeah he, gives, he, he helps Moses see the qualifications. Not, you know, they're not going to take a bribe, um, all these different things. Um, what does this passage in the, in the New Testament, what does it make you think of? I heard elders. I heard somebody else say deacons. To me, it, it makes me think of Acts. This is Acts 6. This is, this is exactly what we look for in Acts 6. Barry, were you going to say something? Yeah, so I think uh, to further illustrate Barry's point there, if you just think about our body here, on an average Sunday we have about 100, 120, is that about right? I think so. So if each one of those people brings an issue to the elders once a year, they have 100 issues to deal with. Just so, you know, I told you guys to love math this morning, that's two issues a week. Most issues that people bring to a group of elders can't be resolved in a week. <laughs> and so think about after a, after a month or two months or four months, how those issues have stacked up. And now the elders are having to prioritize what they do. They don't have folks volunteering to help necessarily. They have a lot of people volunteering to identify problems for them. I, I don't want to, I don't have a problem with people identifying issues, but I do think one of the biggest challenges for leaders to deal with is that they don't have time to do everything that everyone wants them to. Fundamentally, that's why Jethro tells Moses he needs to delegate, because he doesn't have the physical time or energy to do everything. Um, and so as we are engaging with our leaders, I think it's, it's important to follow Jethro's example here and not only identify the issue, but at minimum, help to identify solutions that could come for the problem. You will help the elders here get to resolution so much faster if you actually give them more insight than, I saw a problem and I brought it to you. So that was one of the challenges that Moses is facing here is just time. I think there's at least two others you could say. Um, but but what, what challenges does, is Moses dealing with here as a leader in addition to just time? Well, 
What'd you say? Yeah, so Evan shared, uh, used a term that I love. It's called decision fatigue. Uh, it's the idea that with every decision you make, if you don't have time to rest and rebound, over time, you will become fatigued simply from making decisions. Um, if you don't live in a world where that faces you, um, come to my house and try to give my five children snacks in the afternoon. Both you and they will suffer from decision fatigue. Because um, everyone wants something else or something different or, you know, over and over. It's never ending, right? Um, what else? I think there's some really basic ones, basic challenges. Why does Moses need to fill this role? Because he knows the law. Okay. Yes, all right, that's great. So this is, this is the infancy of these people knowing the Lord in lots of ways. And so he faces so many of these issues because he hasn't dispensed enough knowledge to enable them, in some ways, to, to do this themselves. Great, what else? I saw Nathan. Yeah. So basically Moses has their own source of authority. Right, so, so it's, it rests on Moses' shoulders to dispense that knowledge. And I think that's one thing that's so interesting about what Jethro says is he is so definitive about the fact that Moses will still be able to dispense um, knowledge and wisdom, and he, he refers to it as the statutes of the Lord. What else? Why is a judge needed? What would you say? Disputes, and I'm just going to be more pointed and say Sin. This role is necessary for someone to arbitrate all these issues because men sin against one another. Sometimes that sin is me sinning against you. Sometimes that sin is you thinking I sinned against you. Right? It goes both ways. Just because someone has a charge against someone, that doesn't mean that there's, you know, you don't know which one. So someone has to arbitrate that activity that results from sin. Great. When you think about our leaders and what they deal with, know that the biggest challenge they face in addition to time, like I said, that's the physical constraint, but fundamentally, they're dealing with sin every day. And so, an issue that's so thorny to deal with that Christ had to come die to resolve it for us eternally, well, our elders deal with sin within our congregation every day. Christ had to die to deal with it. They have to address it in different ways than that. But it's not easy. It's not simple uh, to deal with that. Um, maybe this is a little cheeky. I think there's at least one more challenge that Moses has faced here. What? Are you, you have a cheeky one? Or? All right. Okay. Yes. Yes. Right. So hold that comment. That's the third passage. That's the third example we're going to look at. It deals with that. My cheeky comment, or you may think it's cheeky, is, I mean, basically, the biggest challenge he faces is all these people. I mean, uh, uh, there's, there's these things. If you've ever been in a corporate world, you've seen people post these, like, funny, or these 
So they're supposed to be inspirational posters, and it's like a bunch of folks like whitewater rafting, and then it says something about teamwork underneath. Um, there's, there's something called demotivational posters, which are the opposite. So it's like um, there's one that has the pyramids in it, and underneath it, um, I think it was teamwork or something, but it's, the tagline was like, uh, there's nothing you can accomplish with endless amounts of slave labor, right? <laughs> um, there, there's another one that deals with, reflects all like the problems of a company. It's like problems. And it's based on our research, we've determined that customers are the source of all of our problems. <laughs> so we're seeking to get rid of them, right? It's a little funny when you think about it that way, but, but leaders are dealing with people. That's part of the sin issue also, is every one of the people they're dealing with are dealing with their own sin. Um, but also they're just dealing with a wide swath of people. So just like Moses had people that were happy or unhappy with each and every decision he made, our leaders face the same issue. A, a challenge for all leaders is when to listen to the people and when to not listen to the people. You can't lead if everyone agrees with you all the time. That's not leadership. Uh, it's, it's not really possible, but it's also fundamentally, there are times when leaders have to take us to a place that we don't think we're ready to go to or that we need to go to. And so we kind of disagree with them. We're uncomfortable. We, we, we kind of pull, pull on, the, on the reins a little bit. To, we want to slow that down. Well, Moses had to deal with those Israelites every single day, um, and they were certainly a source of challenge for him. Anything else folks want to talk about with this example before we go on to the last one? All right, example three. I'll read this one basically straight through. It's two chapters, or two, two different sections, one from Deuteronomy 31 and one from Deuteronomy 34. If you read from Deuteronomy, either 30 or 31, through the end of Deuteronomy, there's either three or four times where Moses' departure from this world is discussed. Um, we couldn't go over all of them, so we're only looking at two. Um, but, but if you have some time to read on your own, I think it would be good to look at those four or five sections that are both Moses addressing the people and God and Moses uh, having some discourse on that topic a few times. We'll, we'll cover one of them here. So Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. Then Moses summoned Joshua and told to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, 
to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. All right, jot down a couple notes uh, for that, and we'll have our last discussion. All right, what challenges are Moses dealing with? And by the way, I don't know what the right grammar or syntax is here. If it's challenges are Moses or challenges is Moses. I struggle with that. Just want to point that out. What, what challenges face Moses? Not Alan Barry Chip. What'd you say? All right, so Kathy says his death is imminent. He's 120. When he says he can't go out and come in, that means he's not able to, to move around or get around as much as he could. He doesn't have the, um, the, all the faculties that he had before. What else? What'd you say? All right, so it's the end of his service. He's dying, uh, and he can't go into the land. Um, um, and so a new leader is needed. That's really a second challenge, right? There's age, and then a new leader is needed. Were you going to say something else, Trey? I was going to say change in leadership, but also key part of that being the leader that's being replaced is the deliverer leader, almost the founder of sorts. Yes, so um, potentially the, the Israelites could mistakenly almost think of Moses as their savior right? And so um, replacing him will be difficult. And in fact, that's referenced at the end of the, the, the second reading, or the middle of the second reading. There has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses. So anytime you're following someone who's done the greatest they could do, it's a, it's a difficult task to follow them, to plan succession in that way. There's at least, I would say, one more challenge or issue facing Moses. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, so Moses is leaving this people kind of knowing mm, this isn't going to work out real well. What other challenges facing Moses particularly? He doesn't get to go into the land. I would say that is half of the challenge or the issue. What's the other half of that challenge? That he sinned. That he sinned. He, like all leaders, have to deal with the fact that they failed. They failed at some time. And Moses failed in such a way that the Lord's punishment for him 
is severe. He can't go into the promised land. So what could... what? Clearly, he led them for quite some time because we're now on the other side of the, the wilderness wandering. But what could Moses have done? If, if, you're, if you work in a job, and this is a really silly example compared to what we're talking about, you work in a job and they come and they tell you, hey, I know we told you you're going to get a great bonus when you did this and that you're going to get a promotion at the end of this. We've decided you're getting no bonus and no promotion. What's your options? You can do the job anyway, or you can be like, I don't need you guys. I don't need this job. I'll just go be one of the people. Right? Moses, we don't talk about this, but Moses had the option that when the Lord took Canaan away from him and told him, you're not going to lead the people, he could have said, well, into, into, the, into the promised land, he's like, well, I'm, I'm not going to lead him now either. And instead, what did he do? He led him for about 37 years through the wilderness and listened to them grumble every single day about how wonderful slavery in Egypt was. So not only as a leader has Moses had to face his own sin and his own failing, but he's also had to deal with the fact that he was going to do good work for the Lord and at least at, in some way won't get his full reward. But he did the work anyway. It gives you some color to think about questions like, if heaven wasn't there for us, would you still serve the Lord? Moses told all of these people about the promised land. And when it was taken from them, he kept telling them about the promised land and leading them there. Um, so as Joshua becomes the successor of Moses, what do you see that Moses did well? <laughs> Teresa? Yeah, so Moses publicly talks about this change in leadership. And he does two really, really important things. One, with Joshua standing here, he looks at the people and tells them what they're supposed to do. Be strong and courageous. The Lord will take care of you. You need to obey all his commands and you need to obey Joshua. And then he turned to Joshua. He said, Joshua, you need to be strong and courageous and fear the Lord. He tells them to do the exact same thing, interestingly. But he charges the people in front of the new leader, and he charges the leader in front of the people. And begins the process of leadership changing hands. And it is a public process. It is not done in a tent with the, the drawstrings closed. And then they come out and say, Joshua's the leader now. That is not how it's done. What else, what else does Moses do here? If you've ever worked at a company and been part of what's called a reorganization, something almost, almost every time this doesn't happen. They tell you all the changes that are going to happen, 
Alan, you've been through this a couple times. What don't they tell you often? Well, what you're going to be doing. They don't tell you why. Lots of times, if you're a part of leadership changes, you don't get much why. But it's interesting because Moses does the opposite. He tells the people that he's not going to be, going, be able to go into the Jordan. Ostensibly, he says it so shortly that, that they already know, that Moses has shared this with them before. So not only was he open with them about his sin previously, as the need for leadership change occurs, he, is, he doesn't beat around the bush. The Lord's told me I can't go into Jordan. Someone else has to lead you. I have that leader for you. Um, and explaining his situation so clearly helps the people understand why leadership change is needed. Leaders, I'll just tell you, whoever you are, if you feel like you're a leader, just this is for you. When people don't know why something is happening, even if they agree with the changes, they will struggle. They will spend energy and effort trying to find out why. That energy and effort will distract them from moving towards the goal that you're trying to lead them to. Wherever possible, wherever possible, tell the people why change is necessary. If you do, they're more likely to spend their energy not on determining the why, but on going where you've told them they need to go in that change. Um, what could have gone... Oh, wait, there's one more, at least, that I want us to talk about that Moses did. It tells us very directly Moses did something. He did it for Joshua, or to Joshua. He laid hands on him. Um, in, in our language, we could say... He gave him the tools to do the job. He laid hands on him. He enabled him. He didn't just leave him blind. He supported his successor in giving him everything that he had to give. Super important for leadership changes, for the new leader to get all the tools that the old leader has built. Whether that's actual tools, or often it comes in the form of relationships that the, the former leader, the one that's leaving, has developed relationships over years of service and, and leadership. But when they move on, if they don't actively seek to transplant those relationships to the new leader, now that new leader has to spend all their time building, building a network again and understanding. Um, Moses blesses Joshua here in that he doesn't do this. If this had gone poorly... If they hadn't had the succession plan like this, um, Chip mentioned earlier how risky this situation would be. If Moses was just like, especially before he had listened to Jethro and appointed men to help him, well, it would have just been Moses. They would have gotten there and he wouldn't have had anyone to turn the reins over to. It would just be that he couldn't go into Canaan. Um, so talk about risk of failure, um, or Joshua takes it, he's unprepared, and often when unprepared leaders are transitioned too poorly, they quit. They quit, because they're not ready, and they know. Um, rebellion, so on and so forth. Very high-risk situation whenever leadership changes 
Yet Moses here does many, many things to help enable that situation uh, to transition successfully. Lots of opportunity uh, and challenge in that. Um, we're about at time. One thing I realized in putting this together that I think we have missed an opportunity and challenge group. And that is we have not really talked about the opportunities and challenges of followers. We've talked generally about what these age groups faced, but in talking about the, the, the opportunities and challenges for leaders, I think really the opportunities and challenges for followers are the flip side of that coin uh, to talk about. So I'll either do that in the future or um, in the future soon or in the future later. So uh, is my, my hope. Um, just a couple of parting thoughts. One, for all the followers in the room, which conveniently all of us happen to be followers, I think it's important to remember that leadership is hard. It's just hard. Um, and the larger the group you lead, the more alone you often feel as a leader or a leadership group. Acknowledging the service of our leaders is part of what helps them serve longer. It's our role as followers to be good followers. That's one of my favorite things about the weekend with Matt Henneke, was that he talks so much about how good leaders and good followers both go together, but they are sourced from each other. The best leaders are good followers, and the best followers often become great leaders. I'd also say, um, in the military, there's this concept of force multipliers, is the term that they use. Um, what is, the, the idea is, um, if we have certain things or certain positions, um, our 10 men may fight like 15 or 20 men, like a medic. If you give a battalion uh, a group of medics, they would help them, that group, survive longer, be healthier for the fight, so on and so forth. Good leaders are force multipliers because they help us work together as a group. And although the Israelites did not respond well to Moses always, can you imagine what would have happened if Moses wasn't there? What would this group of grumbling, bumbling meanie heads have been able to accomplish if they hadn't had Moses? Um, for us, I think it's important to realize that if we will look to our leaders, whether those are our elders or other people, we can do more as a group if we have leaders leading us. So we need to enable them and encourage them to do that. And then finally, I would say, God clearly believes in the importance of leaders. He wouldn't have given us so many passages that tell us about the qualifications of different types of leaders if he didn't believe that leadership was necessary and good. We all need to plan and make, make ways to enable ourselves and others to lead where we can. Every one of us has some opportunity to lead the people of God. Whether that is in the humblest of service or in front of a group or whatever. Leadership and service go hand in hand. And if we can all think about ways that we can lead others to serve more, we as a group will serve 
and love God more. Thank you for your attention and your comments. It's been a joy to have this study with you tonight. Let's stand and sing.